0: Hello and welcome to the Weldcore Supplies CAODC podcast for April 2020. I'm John Baco. Thank you very much for joining us this month and I hope you are all doing as well as can be given the circumstances. It's obviously been an extremely tough time for all Canadians and so we're not going to spend much time talking about self-isolation and physical distancing today. I'm sure you're all well versed in pandemic talk by now. So while it's been hard for everyone, uh, CAODC members have had a particularly difficult time right now, just because of the fragile state our industry has been in previously. And of course, the combination of the huge demand shock that this pandemic has caused that has resulted in the even bigger pricing shock that we saw this week earlier this week. So, today on the show, we've got uh, two very special guests for you. First, we've got industry analyst David Yeager joining us to discuss what he sees happening after what we certainly hope is the bottom here negative WTI pricing. And then, after that, we've got CAODC member and owner of Fast Trucking and General Well Servicing, Dennis Day, joining us. And, Dennis, has been a great ambassador for CAODC members. He actually got some national airtime a couple of weeks back. You may have seen it. And I think he really did an amazing job of representing oil field workers and families and basically letting Canadians know that real people work in our industry and that our industry needs some help right now. Um, there seems to be a, a misconception among many that any support, any government support for our industry, is just going to line the pockets of wealthy investors and you know we know that's not the case and it's so important for us who work in the industry to continue to share that message with other Canadians otherwise you know i mean i think elected officials are going to be reticent to look to provide support for our industry because you know they they don't think it's actually going to help workers and that's just not the case But before all of that, uh, we will get into our industry update and then do a quick review of some of the business support initiatives announced by the federal government. So if you're a CAODC member, you should have been getting our weekly updates, sometimes a couple times a week on COVID support for businesses as well as individuals, uh, but primarily for businesses. And if you haven't been getting that, please send me a note to communications at caodc.ca and we will add you to our mailing list. All right, on to the industry update. Our industry update is brought to you by CAODC rig data. CAODC rig data is the most accurate and up-to-date data on the Canadian drilling and service rig sector. If you would like more information on how to access CAODC rig data, check out our website at caodc.ca. So for the first time this year, Drilling operating days were down year over year. In March of 2020, we had 3,205 operating days on the drilling side, and in March of last year, we had 3,756 for a decrease of 551 days or 15%. Active rigs for the month averaged 100, which was down from 145 in 2019, or a decrease of 45 rigs, or 7,875 jobs year-over-year. There was a dramatic decline in active rigs heading into breakup this year, given, of course, all of the global events happening. And so we went into the month with 186 rigs in the first week of March, and we exited March with 41 rigs. So in like a lion, out like a lamb, I guess in that case. Uh, Of course, as you know, we normally see rigs coming off, heading out of Q1, but not usually in such a dramatic fashion. As far as provincial percentages go, in March of 2020, Alberta averaged 71% of active rigs, Saskatchewan 19% and BC 9%. In 2019, Alberta had 73% of active rigs, so only 2% more last year in Alberta. Saskatchewan, 23%, and B.C., 9%. So not much really has changed year over year in terms of uh, provincial market share. Uh, Currently, unfortunately, um, this week, we are looking at about 25 active rigs listed, uh, out of a registered fleet of 512. So that beats our record low of 35 and 36 rigs, respectively, set back in April of, and May of 2016. Of course, at the time we had a registered fleet of 691 drilling rigs. So if you want to look at utilization as percentage of active rigs over number of registered rigs, um, we're actually looking at about the same 5%. So either way we're talking about slightly varying degrees of bad. Uh, On the service side, operating hours in March were down 25% over 2019. The totals in March this year were 73,016 operating hours versus 96,519 last year, a decrease of 23,503. Month over month we had 104 1,887 operating hours in February a decrease of 31,871 or 30 percent to exit the quarter. The working rig count in March of 2020 was 773 up 65 from March in 2019 and up 30 rigs from February actually so 30 rigs from last uh, or from February of 2020 on a lower total of operating hours. So we had more rigs working this month compared to, uh, or not this month, but in March compared to February. But we're down on overall uh, operating hours. So that's it for the industry update this month. Our industry update is brought to you by CAODC Rig Data. CAODC rig data is the most accurate and up-to-date data on the Canadian drilling and service rig sector. If you would like more information on how to access CAODC rig data, check out our website at caodc.ca. And we actually have added a couple of uh, cool reports, Canadian rigs by market share and operating hours by depth for our associate plus members so if that interests you that type of data then uh, by all means let us know and we can set you up. Okay quickly we will get to some of the federal support for businesses uh, some of the initiatives the key one of course is the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy CEWS which is the 75% subsidy eligible for employers for up to 12 weeks. Um, From what we understand, it still does not have a working application as of today. Today is uh, April 22nd. Um, We have heard that if you are eligible for March, you are automatically eligible for April, but you must reapply for May. So I think initially uh, the application process was supposed to be for all three. You had to apply for each month, um, but apparently now it's only two. But of course, there's still no application process available. As soon as that becomes available, and we hear anything, we will let you know. Um, They have expanded the program to include a refund for certain payroll contributions. Uh, They're saying a new 100% refund for certain employer-paid contributions to employment insurance, the CPP, the QPP, and the Quebec Parental Insurance Plan. And, of course, the application, when it does come out, will be through CRA's My Business Account portal. Uh, It says here employers will need to keep records demonstrating their reduction in arm's length revenues and remuneration paid to employees. Um, The other area businesses may be considering is additional lending. The business credit availability program through BDC has been expanded to include support that is specific to oil and gas companies. I think the issue was uh, because our revenues have been so low, um, and this year actually we were doing a little bit better, we couldn't really show a decrease in year-over-year revenue, but overall revenue for our members has been bad for five years. So they listened to those concerns, and I think they've made some adjustments there. Uh, of course, it is still a loan through uh, BDC. The lending is at commercial rates, but there is a 25% forgivable forgivable component if the loan is paid off by December 31st, 2022, and they have expanded the payroll range to between 20000 dollars and 1.5 million. So more companies both big and small will qualify for the 40,000 and that 40,000 is interest-free until December 31st, 2022. So they're they're doing a few things for businesses. Uh hopefully uh, you know it, it might it might help out if you're looking for more information on all these programs, they actually have a pretty comprehensive website, so I would encourage you to have a look at Canada.ca for more information. And of course, as we get more information, we'll be sending it out to you. Uh, finally, just a quick note on federal funding for orphan wells. You may have seen our press release um, earlier, uh, commanding the federal government for their $1.7 billion. Uh, injection into the orphan well program. Uh, We spoke with the OWA this week and apparently they weren't involved in the decision-making process prior to the announcement so they don't have a ton of information. Uh, They don't have much more information than we do at the moment. We did find out that approximately 1 billion of the funding would go to Alberta, 400 million to Saskatchewan and 120 million to BC. Uh, I don't think that adds up to 1.7 but those are the numbers we've heard. Uh, and that should give you a general idea of how it's going to break down provincially. Um, Service rate contractors wanting more information on the bidding process should probably start looking at the prime contractors lists on the OWA website and maybe reaching out to them although I'm sure they have been inundated with questions as well but that is really all the information we have. We are actively searching for information However, and as soon as we get any more, we will, of course, send it out to members via email. All right. Well, we've got two excellent interviews coming up after the break. First, industry analyst David Yeager joins us. And then we chat with CAODC member Dennis Day on the Weldcore Supplies CAODC podcast. So stay tuned. Weldcore is proud to support those who are working hard to keep our country running proud to be a Canadian-owned welding filler metal supply company in a country that has the highest environmental and human rights standards in the world. Weldcore supports ethical oil. Weldcore supports the Canadian oil and gas sector. The world needs ethical oil. The world needs Canadian oil. Let Weldcore Supplies help you make that happen. All right. we are now joined by David Yeager an energy policy analyst, oil and gas writer and author of the book From Miracle to Menace, Alberta, A Carbon Story. Thank you very much for joining us on the WellCore Supplies CAODC podcast, Dave. Oh, thank you very much. So we hit a historic low yesterday. Um, Did you ever anticipate a situation like this?
1: Well, the idea, if you look at the numbers without understanding it, the idea that at minus for $37 that, that you can get a barrel of oil and some cash, if that were actually what happened yesterday, we'd all be filling the bathtub or the basement with oil. That was actually a technical uh, a technical issue. And I think I had, I thought I didn't know, but I hadn't thought we, the macro conditions where world oil demands fallen by 20% in, in 30 days, hadn't seen, planned to see that either. But it was mainly a technical issue with uh, commodities traders and future markets and the uh, Hedging, where they were, a lot of the reading about it. A lot of the, a lot of the holders were long in the sense that they had bet the price of oil was going to go up. So they either had to get out of those contracts or uh, take delivery of the oil. And of course, some some people that do this have a place to put it, but most traders don't. And so they ended up having to. Uh, there was just the oil went no bid, and it just kept falling and, until uh, until finally the market. I think the market closed at uh, minus 37 dollars and the way we went so yeah pretty phenomenal but i think the macroeconomic conditions of a world uh, of a world shutdown in in travel that that's probably the more breathtaking event this is really a symptom of a greater problem
0: Right. right so you don't think that as far as production cuts anyone's going to be going much further than than what we've seen already
1: well, I can't imagine you'll see what happened again. Um, I can see oil not going up, but I mean the idea that we're going to have a one-day event where it goes, uh, you know, to I don't know that would be eighty dollars below replacement cost. Assuming you could put oil on stream for forty and negative forty, I mean that is uh, a phenomenal event. But, but of course, I think what people have to understand is there's dry barrels and wet barrels, and this is not as as well understood either. But a wet, a wet barrel is is real crude. Uh, that comes out of the ground and the world oil industry was producing and consuming up until recently about a hundred million dollar wet barrels a day and what there is also is called dry barrels and that is the new uh, futures commodities market and that is the number of dry barrels produced on a given day is or a number of dry barrels that change hands is fifteen to twenty times uh... the amount of wet barrels for example in uh, in march in the United States, WTI, we would produce about 17. Canada, and uh, and the U.S. combined would produce about 17 million barrels a day of wet barrels. And in the month of March, there was something like 254 million barrels a day of dry barrels traded. And again, part of that is normal hedging, and part of that is just speculators. That that so there's uh, there's another little turbocharged. Element of volatility called the futures market that we didn't always have, and so although yesterday was shocking um, and a, kind of quite an eye opener, lets you know just exactly how severe the problem is. There was no oil changed hands at that price. There was no there were no transactions where here's a barrel of oil and thirty seven dollars. Take this off my hands. That will affect the price on the average price going forward. I mean, it's not in any way a positive development. But it is a bit more complicated than the raw number appears.
0: Sure. So, what do you see then as the implications for capital investment in Canada? The, uh, hopefully that will be the
1: low water mark. Uh, what I mean by that is that that um, there was uh, an emergency meeting of OPEC and Russia and a bunch of producing countries, and a lot of production is being shut in. And so there is, uh, the feeling was is uh, all, the, all the forecasts, this was not an un, unexpected event. They thought oil would go to zero. The fact it would go this far negative briefly is, uh, was bad, but I think it should, it should stabilize um, in the sense that OPEC, and et cetera, has agreed to shut some oil in. There's a lot of oil being pulled off the market right now. I mean, there's, uh, I think, the official amount of oil that had been withdrawn from the Canadian market with something like 350,000 barrels a day, which is heading for 10%. It's probably a lot more than that in the sense that those are the companies that make announcements. Like Husky said, they're going to shut in 80,000 barrels a day. and Suncorp shut down two out of three of the, of the trains, they call them that, at the Four Hills Oil Sands plant. So, but it's actually greater than that. And so there's, there's no point in, in producing oil, A, if there's nowhere to put it, or B, if it costs more to produce it and ship it, than it's worth. And so there's a lot of oil being pulled off the market. So that, I think what's what's meant to happen is that sometime in in hopefully in May, possibly by June, uh, the lights are gonna start coming on. The uh, you know the, the, the supply chains are gonna have to reopen up. Uh, people will start moving around a little bit more. Uh, the truckers are still hauling. The, and, and what'll happen is the combined uh, oil that's been pulled from the market uh, combined with shut-ins in, in in all producing countries, there's just no point in, in uh, producing oil at a loss unless unless technically you can't. The market should come into balance. So I would uh, w- exactly when it's going to start coming up is unknown, but uh, certainly there there is a point where uh, where it's going to stabilize and and what you see is what you get the the answer uh, that's a long answer to your short question obviously what it means for investment is is, is fairly terrible uh, capital programs are being cut um, nobody seems to want to uh, invest in new supplies in this market till it turns around but we are certainly setting ourselves up for a, a long a long-term rebound in the price no question
0: yeah i mean can you see the demand side coming back quickly somehow i, I we're looking at the uh, EIA predictions here. here, and they're they're forecasting that we'll be back to level for consumption in Q3. But it just seems I don't know how it could turn around that quickly.
1: It's not intuitive that life will return to normal that quickly. Um, I, I, that's that's a really good question, and that's really going to depend on on how how governments react. You know, the one thing. Uh, governments are really a lot better. I'm talking global governments in terms of the reaction to the declared pandemic. Governments are a lot better at, at reacting than they are at fixing things. And so the idea that we should shut everyone down, that's really easy to do. All the politicians say, well, this is for your own good, and everybody was scared. You know, park the planes and ground strand the cruise ships and don't leave your house. But, but when it comes to, there, there comes a crossover point. When, when for many the the cure starts to become as bad as as the disease, you know it's one thing to it's one thing to say, well, you for your own, you have to stay at stay home for your own good, but for a lot of people, they, they just can't do that. There's there's government support being offered, so the the lights are going to start coming on, and you can start to see this on a, on a country by country basis. Uh, but a lot of a lot of countries are figuring that this it's not getting worse there is medical advancement being made simultaneously so there's no question there's going to come a period of time here when when people will start moving around again. As for exactly when it's going to bounce back, I mean I I, I think that we'll be more no more successful in accurately predicting uh, how quickly it'll come back as we were in predicting how quickly uh, it got into these uh, terrible conditions we're currently in. So I, I don't know how you can really not see what's happening, coming, and yet seeing its recovery, uh, predict its recovery with some accuracy. So it'll take some time. But there's no question that the long-term, going back to where my last point was, the long-term uh, uh, picture for, for oil is improved. The one thing that this does is that there's two elements of this downturn uh, that uh, will will support oil. One is that the cost of renewables, uh, the idea that, that, that alternative forms of energy that are really not, uh, they work better when prices are high. Nuclear power made advancements in Europe in the nineteen seventies only after OPEC uh, made alternate energy sources more sources more affordable. So this this uh, this is not going to help the sales of electric vehicles. It's not going to help the uh, the development of oil substitutes. These low prices. Uh, secondly, the the willingness or the determination of governments uh, to fund. Or, or fuel, accelerate, incentivize the replacement of oil and natural gas as our primary uh, energy and transportation fuels. Just, it just makes sense. The the one thing that the, the, all this public spending will do is cause uh, governments to reprioritize what they spend and how they spend it. And so, I think there's uh, there's changes in a lot of things, and one of them is that I. I really don't know that the burning issue of climate change and pressures to get out of the fossil fuel business—they were really important till about six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure that, that they're as important as they used to be.
0: Sure. Do you do you see the Canadian government um, leveraging our oil and gas industry as an opportunity to help get us out of the financial debt that we're uh, accumulating a, a lot quicker by uh, you know strengthening it, strengthening it? Well, oh, that you know
1: that remains to be seen. Uh, there's uh, it's hard to understand what they're saying in Ottawa. They say they'll help, uh, and then people are saying, "Well, doing what when?" We got some help on the uh, on the uh, suspended wells and and, the ban- and well abandonment file. Uh, there, the balance sheet support is the big issue that the industry is looking for. But we're also so, so are several other industries: uh the airline industry and the tourism industry and the real estate industry. You know when. Um, lots of lots of the tourism business is shut down. There's a whole bunch of capital at stake there, and the, the commercial real estate industry, malls and office towers that nobody's in, uh, people that can't pay their rent. So the the balance sheet support that the industry is looking for is not dissimilar from that of other industries. So I wonder. Hopefully, they're working on a one size fits all. Uh, I'm, I, it's hard to believe that the current government is going to do a complete reversal on their views of the of the upstream oil and gas industry but uh, hopefully they'll put in a an agnostic program that that helps everyone uh with balance sheet issues in multiple
0: industries and that'll help the industry get back on its feet on its own well thank you very much for your time dave i know that you're a very busy man during times like this and uh, we always appreciate you stopping by the Weldcore core supplies CaoDC podcast. Um, for our listeners who are interested, where can people find your book?
1: Oh, go to the website uh, miracle. Uh, okay. Yeah, if you're trapped in the house, you can buy the digital version for very little money. And it's, uh, actually it's funny. Thanks for asking, John, because the parallels to how governments behaved with when climate change has emerged as an issue. And the parallels to how they reacted when the uh, when the virus emerged, and there's a lot of parallels to 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 how they did it and why they did it and the public support they got. Uh, there's quite a bit to be learned from the way we handled the climate change file. We've replaced it, so if you're interested, it's
0: all there. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. That was David Yeager, an energy policy analyst, oil and gas writer, and author of the book From a Miracle to Menace: Alberta, a Carbon Story. Thanks again, Dave. Weldcore is proud to support those who are working hard to keep our country running. Proud to be a Canadian-owned welding filler metal supply company in a country that has the highest environmental and human rights standards in the world. Weldcore supports ethical oil. Weldcore supports the Canadian oil and gas sector. The world needs ethical oil. The world needs Canadian oil. Let Weldcore Supplies help you make that happen. All right, well, welcome back to the Wellcore Supplies CAODC podcast. We are fortunate to have Dennis Day on the line. Dennis owns and operates Fast Trucking and also uh, General Well Servicing and many other companies. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Dennis. Where are you uh, talking to us from today? I'm sitting at
2: my office in Garden of Saskatchewan at our shop.
0: Excellent. How's the weather out there?
2: Uh, it's... A little bit cooler today we're supposed to warm up and really warm up next week so it looks like we're at the end of the line for this cold
0: spring anyhow <laughs> it's been a cold spring hasn't it Holy smokes! it snowed i don't know almost every day last week here in calgary yeah i know a couple of my buddies live out there and they're
2: sending me pictures so <laughs> we're we're sitting better than you guys anyhow we don't have no
0: snow left so good Good. Well, it's melting. We got a sunny day here today, so it seems to be melting quickly. Okay, so I'm. I'm just. We were just talking before we uh, started recording here, and I was online this morning reading all about fast trucking. Can you give us a bit of a the quick history here? I mean, it's uh, we're talking way back in 1957. Things got started. Yeah, my dad was 25
2: in 1957, and he incorporated the company. Him and my mom by and. Uh, Actually, we started it. And we mainly were hauling water. And we had a welding truck and a winch truck, and then just moved into... Uh, we had probably a dozen water trucks at one time, or close to. And then by, in the 80s, we started moving rigs on our own. And ever since that, uh, actually from about 1980 till the last few years, if we got a rig move in southeast Saskatchewan or... Southwestern Manitoba. There was probably a ninety percent chance we moved the rig for you. Is that right, eh? Yeah. And we grow, and you know, to twelve companies now, and we got over three
0: hundred and fifty employees. Wow. And so you've got some pretty deep roots in uh, in Saskatchewan, then. Yeah.
2: I live a mile west of Carneddau, and I live right across the road from my shop. My we started in my Tony's yard, and uh, where where I grew up. The shop was fifty steps from the uh, house, so that's where. And then we built a
0: forty-one
2: thousand square foot shop in ninety-five across the road. So that's where we work on it today.
0: Wow. So you were mentioning there's been several different companies have they all been oil field services related uh
2: yeah all of them are except one is a heavy call company out of regina but
0: you know they do you
2: know probably 30 percent of their work is oil field related they do a lot of hauling for pipelines and stuff like that rest are so say- all 100 percent
0: yeah so safe to say that uh the, the oil field services industry has provided some good opportunity for not only you, but uh, a lot of people in that area. Oh, yeah. It's huge. And even, you know, since we kind
2: of locked up with the COVID 19, and, uh, you know, because I didn't want nobody get sick in our shop. Our shop, there's 50 some guys working in it through road van and and with everything else closed and you know the oil going down said to stop our operations so we see what the government's going to do for everybody.
0: Yeah yeah and that's been sort of an interesting topic of conversation I think uh, you know we've as you know um, quite well we've as an association have made a request to the federal government for a little bit of support and uh, certainly that's not something that I think it's probably unprecedented in, in CAODC history, but in terms of uh, a general, I guess, conception of uh, where the support will go, I think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions in, in the public about um, whether or not actual working people will, will, uh, will get the support and whether or not, you know, actual working people make up a significant percentage of this industry. And and so that's kind of one of the reasons we wanted to chat with you today um, to talk a little bit about, you know, how oil field services, how big a part it plays in in, uh, your community. Oh,
2: you know, there's, you know, a lot of the people, you know, it's a farming community too, right? But, uh, you know, a lot of people depend on, on it. And there's a lot of people that farm, also work in the oil field, you know, in the off-season too, right, so, yeah, when you go downtown, it's pretty sad right now, you know, like anywhere, you know, Esteban, we've got, you know, guys that work out of there, and, you know, that's really taking a hit there, you know, it took a hit five years ago, and and then now this on top of it, so, it's going to be tough.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and you were mentioning uh, 350 employees. Um, understand you had to let a few uh, people go recently. I'm sure that wasn't uh, fun. I know that uh, almost everybody is doing that right now. How well do you know your employees and and uh, the families of of your employees? Oh, most of these
2: guys. There was
0: guys. There was guys that got
2: laid off here that had been with the company over 35 years. Lots of guys over 30 and never been laid off they've always came to work and kept them employed but uh also you, know, you know it isn't the, the guy laid off with his son that works here too right you know so and and, and when you live in a town with a thousand people
0: you know you play hockey
2: together the kids play hockey together you know so you know i know everybody personally right and after uh after we did play everybody off you know, some of those guys I know don't even have enough money to get groceries for, uh, you know, till they get some, you know, unemployment check or whatever they get from government, so. Right. So, and Yeah, tell us about that. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so I decided to, when I talked to the rest of our family about it, and I said I'm going to give everybody a $250 gift card and, uh, Hopefully they could you know get some groceries and you know make it uh, for the next couple of weeks and uh and the real reason I did I thought about it. I went to the grocery store, ran into one of my guys, and I know his financial situation,
0: and
2: he had a ten pound ham and three dozen buns that he had in his cart, so you know what he's eating the next ten days so that's when I really decided to uh go ahead with that. So I owned the co-op, went and got $50,000 worth of over $50,000 worth of gift cards and wrote a letter to all my men and sent it out
0: to them. Wow, that's incredibly generous. What uh, what was the reaction?
2: Well, I did it on a Tuesday and I had 120 texts from different people on Wednesday. So. And then a lot of people have stopped me either in town at the grocery store you know because everybody's affected you know the guy's wife one of the guys that work here his wife works in the grocery store you know she come out of the grocery store and stopped me to you know thank thank uh, me for a lot of the guys you know around the shop so yeah yeah they appreciated it big time well that's one go ahead because even you know out of all those guys that got one some of those guys probably we won't be able to even hire back right so it's you know it's people that you're helping out when they come back and some of them won't be coming back for quite some time or maybe won't come back you know and hopefully if they aren't coming back they can find some sort of job right
0: yeah and it was i mean so what what kind of a start to the year did we have i mean how are you guys doing uh, through january february Oh yeah, no. January, February
2: and till the middle of March we, we were busy, so uh and all our companies were doing all right, so you no know, we've been good. We you know, we've got a lot of good customers and we got a lot of that's what's just a real tough thing. We got a lot of really good men. Out of all that those men, I don't have a problem with one guy, you know, working here. If I do have a problem, we straighten it out pretty quick, so You know that's that's why it was tough to do what I did. But again, you know, my dad's not around. He passed away a couple years ago. But you know, it's we're we're always about our employees. But here, this this oil wave, this COVID nineteen, you know, that's a mammoth that's hit the whole world, and it's just you know we got to shut her down, lock her up, and save
0: every penny we got. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the situation for most businesses. We know a few aren't, uh, aren't going to make it through, unfortunately. Um, it's tough for sure.
2: And, you know, last year I bought three companies out and all three of those companies were, you know, not making money and close to bank. Some of them were close to bankruptcy and, uh, and, and that was last year. You know, this year it's going to be horrible. Plus, out of those companies, I had to have twenty other companies only about. You know, if I would buy them out too, because it, uh, it's just you know. So this year it's just going to be a total disaster, and I feel bad for everybody.
0: Are they not finding the the uh, financing opportunities available to them, or?
2: Yeah. I don't know, you know, that's gonna help for a while, you know, some of that stuff, but you know, if you were if you weren't making money and then it's totally stopped and uh, that's definitely gonna help, you know, what the banks have done. But it might just prolong
0: what's inevitable, right? Yeah. And so how about the community in general? I mean what uh What's happening with uh, the local, I mean, I guess the local sports and whatnot are all shut down, but how does the slow oil field services industry impact in a regular year uh, or the last five years, I guess, of this downturn? How have things in the community been affected?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, there's been a couple of companies in town, you know, there was a bigger one that it's shut down. so. uh Everybody else has been kind of working in southeast Saskatchewan we always had it, I feel, a little better than a lot of other places have, you know, so we there's been always just a little bit of work going on and enough for everybody, you know, to make a go of it. But you know, even like us, you know, we our shop, one of our shops, our fast shop mainly is it was ten thousand a day plus in wages, plus in parts you'd buy ten thousand well. So I'm not buying parts from all the local places, you know, so that's it's hurting them too also, right?
0: You made an interesting point earlier about uh guys who work in oil field services also being farmers and working the land. Um would you say that's common and, and uh you know can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah. No that's a lot of these guys, you know.
2: And some of them were farmers that, you know, quit farming and, you know, back in the 90s when it was tough. And uh, so we also farmed too. We got about, not a bunch, but was 7,000 acres. So that kind of helps some of our guys get through the slow times too. So, you know, as a road band, a bunch of them help on the farm and then we crop in. And then it's May-long weekend and then they can go to work, you know, in the oil field because road bands are off. So... Yeah, we got a lot of farm guys. And, you know, we move rigs out in Swift Current. And out there, they got, you know, quite a few guys that drive drive and move rigs for us and make farm also.
0: Well, that's incredible because I think one of the big misconceptions a lot of people have, and I'm speaking about those who might be opposed to oil and gas and in favor of the environment, um, a lot of them don't realize that oil and gas and the environment go hand in hand. I mean, you're you're pulling hydrocarbons out of the ground, uh, number 1, and number 2, all of this activity is typically taking place in rural areas, you know, nowhere near a downtown of any city. And uh, the people who work in the industry are all rural people who, you know, really have an appreciation and an understanding for the environment. They are environmentalists by definition.
2: Oh, that's right. Like, you know, that, you know, it's almost like there's too many movies where you know it's spilling oil all over. Like, you know, to have an oil spill is really uncommon. You know, and 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 people, you know, they clean it up and it's cleaned up properly. And uh, you know, they they really care about it. Even even the you know the battery operators and oil company, the environment, you know, is really number one. You know. I guess number one safety, number two is environment, and then down from there is hopefully trying to make a buck.
0: Yeah, which hasn't been happening a ton over the last five years, that's for sure. So what would you say to Canadians who think that federal support for the oil and gas industry is going to line the pockets of a bunch of people sitting in downtown office buildings? Well,
2: it starts with that a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of people that work in Western Canada that are from Eastern Canada, right? And uh, so they're getting help out there. And the money, the transfer payments, you know, that Alberta and Saskatchewan have given the, you know, the federal government, like, it's huge. The Saskatchewan since 2007 until 18 has give 1.1 billion, and received two hundred and thirty-two million. Alberta has given two hundred and forty billion, and received nothing. And so they got to think we we have to help them out, or we're you know we're, where where we getting our money? I don't. I honestly don't think Quebec since nineteen sixty-one has ever given any out, and they've received since. Since 07, you know, 100, over a hundred billion, and these are these are all bees, not millions, billions, right? So, it's if they don't help us out somehow to survive, you know, this next crucial months, uh, there might not be a lot of people left or companies left to uh, pick the pieces up and get it
0: rolling again. Well, Dennis, I'm not going to take up any more of your time this morning. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Core Supply CAODC podcast, and uh, we wish you all the best in the coming months. Hopefully things get uh, a little bit better here.
2: Well, thanks a lot. And uh,
0: like a quote from my dad
2: was, tough times don't last and tough guys do. So hopefully we can stick out, John, and uh, thanks for having me on
0: all right well thank you very much for joining us on the april 2020 edition of the WellCore supplies caodc podcast i want to thank our special guests david yeager industry analyst and of course uh, dennis day owner of fast trucking and general well servicing Uh, some great interviews thanks for bearing with us if you made it to the end obviously we've got some uh, interesting uh, location challenges these days but uh, the technology is pretty good i just need to get a handle on working it a little bit better perhaps but uh, we made it through another month and we uh hope that you will be with us next month for another interesting episode who knows what next month's going to bring but we'll be here for you so until then keep it turning to the right